This episode is brought to you by Athletic Greens. Listen, your body's nutritional needs change all the time due to a variety of factors like stress, travel, sleep patterns, exercise, a crappy diet, and even with a balanced, healthy diet, it can be tough to cover your nutritional bases. That's why top performers, athletes like us, executives, and entrepreneurs trust Athletic Greens. Athletic Greens Ultimate Daily is the obsessively researched all-in-one nutritional support containing 75 vitamins, minerals, and whole food ingredients. Just one scoop contains essential vitamins and minerals, prebiotics, probiotics, digestive enzymes, adaptogens, and more, providing you with convenient and comprehensive nutritional insurance that supports your gut health, energy, immunity, and more. No harmful chemicals, artificial flavors, sweeteners, no added sugar, no GMOs, gluten and dairy-free, no herbicides or pesticides, you name it, and it's vegan, paleo, and keto-friendly. If it's time to focus on your health and feel your best, Athletic Greens takes the guesswork out of everyday good health and does it without compromising on taste or quality. That's very important to me. Why wouldn't you try it? Jump over to athleticgreens.com slash heartland and claim our special offer today. 20 free travel packs valued at $79 with your first purchase. That's athleticgreens.com slash heartland. Start your day right and good things follow. Yeah, kick it on back and crack a cold one. Yeah, the boys are about to go on. Just shooting the shit and letting it ring. Hey, let's go. It's time for Heartland Radio. Here we go. Welcome to Heartland Radio 2.0. It's Wednesday for you. It's Tuesday for us. A leisurely afternoon around the office. Half the crew's on their way somewhere on a trip to... Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh. (laughs) Back to the Berg, that's right, for the pit game. Going to be an exciting time for them. Um, As for us, we have an, an incredible interview set up today. The two DEA agents that took down Pablo Escobar are going to be talking to us on the phone. Let's go. Probably the majority of this episode. Everything we ever wanted to know about the cartel, Pablo Escobar, these two badasses that were portrayed in Narcos, all that stuff on today's episode. I'm fucking excited about it. And I'm excited about the fact that my kill count on mice is up to seven. Yes. <laughs> oh, seven? Seven, seven mice. Let's go. Uh, how many, the fucking, one how many mice are uh, in a herd? Well, I don't know. Oh, uh, 11, I believe. Hundreds. I, I bought eight. So you have four more. I think so. I think four more and you're free. Well, I bought eight traps initially, yeah. and I thought, well, well this is going to be plenty. Supply and demand. Usually you see one, there's about 50 in the wall. So Every I mean. time I've ever caught mice, you know, kids, two, three, whatever, and they're just done. And then Marnie was like, I think we have like 200 mice. Oh. I have oh. seen so many mice. I'm like, well, yeah, you're seeing the same one over and over. True. Right? So no way we have 200 mice. We might have 200 mice. At the rate I'm catching them, I literally will set them out in the two honey spots I got that are hot right now. I put one Ooh, uh, under the workbench in the garage, one in the corner behind the dryer in the laundry room. Ooh. Within 15 minutes, I have a mouse. I mean, it's that fast. Oh yeah, I think I have a full-fledged infiltration. It sounds like you're infestation. It sounds like you're loving it too. Like I, you, it's you, kind of fun. It's kind you, of fun. You've, ta- you've got the taste of blood. And I know. Now it's just a, it's a sport to you. I might get to the point where Set up I a go. Camera, by the way, why are you not uh, setting up a camera Ooh. to yeah, catch the kill cam? I should. I, I'm going to get some of those replay. wildlife cams and set up, like the like they put on deer trails or whatever. I'm yeah. going to go shirtless. I'm going to go face paint and just go with a sharpened wooden spear and start gigging. 
the we don't hunting mice. That uh, <laughs> that shitty movie we watched, um, Zombieland Two. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, <laughs> two shot, double shot, Zombieland double, double shot, tap. double tap, double tap. How they have like the zombie kill of the week or whatever. Yeah, I mean, I think you should at this point that seven traps is enough traps. Yeah. I mean, let's get a little creative with your yeah. traps. So for getting the, a little boring. For get the longest time, Todd criticized me and his father because we're kind of like those. Way more so his father than me, but people that are like, let's protect the home yeah, yeah, and all okay. that. And he has a joke about his dad setting up his own private jungle, like Vietnam, to protect his home. Todd's turning into that human now. My oh, dad, he's, nice. he's under attack. My dad was sawing off a shotgun in order to hide it in the kitchen. That's a little overboard. <laughs> I think whenever you hit like the, the 12th about? mouse, you're probably going to be at that point. Maybe. Maybe. I mean, I you're already know. talking about putting face paint on and sharpening like the spear. Point, I'm surprised so you don't have a shotgun attached to a string that is attached to the trap. Ooh, yeah, a piece oh, of cheese. Just blow it through the wall. Tom and Jerry style. I think it's time for a snake. We talked about this. You laughed it off. These are these are snake levels of mice. But I would rather have a, a mice infestation than I would one snake in my house. <laughs> it's the problem. I have a problem with snakes well, it's just and spiders. A garage, though, right? No, I'm catching them in the laundry room. Okay, so need a snake. more in the laundry room than the garage. Well, if you just keep the snake in the laundry room, put it on you a think leash. It'll just stay there. Yeah, yeah, snake leash. Well, no, if you see, if it you, can constrict. It'll pull out. If you if you get some caulking, pull out game strong. And you caulk the bottom of your door so the snake can't get underneath. You're fine. But so, then, I so think so even there to do laundry. <laughs> just yeah, caulk it. Caulk the snake. <laughs> just caulk it to the or to teach the, floor. the snake how to well, do laundry. I thought you wait. No, you trap it in. You don't do your them. laundry in the in the backyard on a in a washing bin in a in a, a hanger on a string, no, string line. No, no, hmm. no. He's got that uh, laundry room. This dog shit all, all those over. New machines. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's a it's a full infestation. It's a tough battle. Probably, it's going to be interesting to see. I'm going to go get eight more traps on my way home today. If I go through them, it might be time to call in a professional. No, oh. I mean you got you got it under control. The snake is that what you call? Is that what you call a snake, the professional? Could be. Here's the problem with Could snake, be. though. Snakes, they act on, on how hungry they are. Like, they, mm-hmm. they eat yeah, a mouse, they're done for the it's day. It's going to be done for, like, a week. I don't know. I think if he sees another mouse you sitting there, he's going to be a big snake. They're lazy. They keep that shit You're calling stomach. snakes lazy? They're super yeah. lazy. Once they get full, they don't that. do anything. You ever see the video of the rat and the boa constrictor in the cage? Like, it ate one, yeah, and, then, and then they put another one in there, and it lived in there for, like, two weeks. It got so comfortable with the boa constrictor, it's like literally sleeping on top of mm-hmm. it until one day, of course, the snake gets hungry again. No more rat. But that's how lazy and Unless are. you get the, um, <laughs> the the snake from Anaconda. That guy was... He, yeah, you got to get a big snake. Big yeah. He that, was the Michael Phelps of snakes. That snake, also amphibious. Like, it was awesome in the river. Yes. A lot, a lot of most, snakes Yeah, are. a lot of snakes are. Yeah, a lot of snakes are. I don't know that... That uh, what what kind was that? Not a boa. The uh, python. It was an anaconda. anaconda. Yeah, mm-hmm. the snake. In the, the what was the, <laughs> the snake of the, movie. of the movie? Anaconda. <laughs> name of the movie. Yeah. So they they swim too. Oh, oh yeah. yeah, like mo- water moccasins. Most snakes do. Yes. I don't know. Very good. Yeah, also, you're talking about like constricting Maybe. snakes. You don't want those. They they crush their prey. You want uh, like one that's just gonna actually. Yeah. Eat. The only one. Swallow the only snake that doesn't swim is a rattlesnake because the rattle fills up with water and becomes oh. like a cinder block tied to their feet. And it sinks to the bottom. Mm-hmm. Got it. When I was a kid, we were swimming in Lake Monroe off of my uncle's houseboat. We just jump off there. Of course. And we were, I came up from the water, boom, cotton mouth right in front of me. A cotton mouth water moccasin. Oh, yeah. I thought you were going to say because. Like the bad ones. You had cotton mouth because no. that's tough too. No. 
I wouldn't see that. I would feel it. <laughs> but I saw this. What'd you do? It's a mouthful of cotton. Right? I fucking screamed like a little girl and swam my ass off as fast as I could with my life jacket on, <laughs> which you don't get anywhere when you're trying to oh, swim see, in a life so jacket. Oh, see, so you turned away from the snake and swam? Oh, yeah. See, I, w- I probably would have done it back so I could at least keep, keep eyes on it uh-huh. so I know where it's at. Kick it, it maybe, you know? I, I mean, let's not. Jesus Christ. My dad killed no it. Idea. He grabbed this uh, black, like, piece of PVC pipe or something. It was just laying against the wall of the houseboat. And when I was swimming in, he was like, keep coming, keep coming. Oh, it was following like, you? Yeah, because oh, they're poisonous. Like yeah. So Jeez. it's coming after me. I swim to the back, and then my uncle pulls me up real fast. And then right when he pulls me up, my dad smacks this water moccasin on the head. Oh, so this was real. Like, yeah. This was coming at and you. And it goes down and then came back up and just floated. Fell oh, nice. Did you cook it? Dead. No. What do you mean? I'm not going to eat a snake. Respect Why? the snake. Mm-mm. Mm, fuck a snake. And I then have you, no respect for snakes. And then you take the skin off, and it's like a trophy. Oh, it's awesome. Mm. Skin it. Okay, how about a fake snake? Act like a scarecrow to scare the mice, keep them where they're at. That's, that's, a, that's a good idea. Sandpaper yeah. across idea. the floor. You think that'll work? Like a warning snake, At yeah. the very least, you want to scare up. Marnie with it, and that'll be hilarious. I would think all the mouse blood would scare them off. Like, there's literally a pool nah. of mouse <laughs> blood in that corner at this point. <laughs> I'm surprised they haven't switched it up, maybe gone in a different room or something. They're not the yeah. smartest of animals, I don't think. Yeah. Mm, mice are pretty smart. They're uh, tricky. Uh, it's smarter than you. I mean, what are we... Com- it's relative. I'm just saying, the mice that we had in the pub... Yeah, exactly. They're they outsmarting the you, but... <laughs> they're outsmarting you and Zito. Oh, I mean, I think Fox. You're, I think you're mistaking Fox. them being very fast for being smart. This <laughs> <laughs> because they move quickly. What if you set up, what if you went to Walmart or something, and you actually got the game Mousetrap? Ooh. Mm. Great game. Set that up. That could work. I've, do, I've thought about making my own booby trap. The cage at the end is very finicky, and sometimes will fall down on its own. Mm, gust of ah. wind. Because the, the, um, the guy who jumps in the little pool of water. Uh-huh. It gets a little antsy sometimes, but still fucking good. So uh-huh. all this spawned from like your dog food kind of being all over the garage, we think, right? I'm assuming they're just like, hey, this place got lots of uh, food laying around on the floor. So why don't you just sacrifice that tub of dog food, put it in the middle of the laundry room, and have all of them trapped in Ooh, there? Ooh, poison the dog like food. 30 of them in there. Or you should poison mm-hmm. the dog Like, food. like the Japanese. That's bait. That's not a bad idea. What do you mean, the Jeff? If I somehow just like leave it in there for like the three days, Yikes. but put it low enough to where they can't crawl out. Yeah, because I don't know. I was, I don't know how they got in there before. Build them a ramp in, mm-hmm. but not out. They must have been jumping off that little workbench that sets. Yeah. is there a it hole and in jumping them? down in there? Kamikazes. I never thought about how they got in there. Build them a ramp in, and then they can't get out because it's yeah, too deep. Because we're gonna fall, like you did with those ducks. Like you mm-hmm. did with the ducks. So like yeah. you try, when you try to and kill all the ducks. Neighborhood birds I was drowning. In <laughs> 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 my deep ass duck pond. <laughs> I think the rant I like this idea best. I, I I might try it. I tried doing that with water and put dog food in the floating bowl of water. And yes. them. Yeah, you're big you're big into Ooh, drowning. Yeah. What yeah. if you constructed <laughs> bite on it. your own pit of death? It was like uh, a Big nails? plastic bin, yeah, with nails in the bottom. We had all various types of meat and cheeses down oh, there. They would jump awesome. in. And that's what I'm talking about. Todd McCall was pitted well, Now think, we're talking. I think Todd would get drunk one night and go in there for some sausage and fuck up his Ooh. hand. <laughs> that's <laughs> okay. fine. That's Maybe worse. just cheese. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I like cheese. I mean, that's what we're saying. Like, <laughs> like, I get it. I mean, I love it. But if you come in next show with that type of story, I mean. If you come in with like a keychain full of mouse skulls. <laughs> That would be awesome. Check it out, boys. I, I like think, a witch doctor? Yeah. This is what I'll do. I'll, I'll get a little bucket, 
put some dog food in there, build a little ramp. No, no, mm-hmm. a big bucket. Yeah. Yeah, like a five-gallon one. Yeah, with nails that can't get out. Uh, more, more wide than it is tall. Yeah. I got some metal, those beer buckets, too. Okay. That might work if I just put enough on the bottom. I then think, I can be able I to get out of there. A mouse could probably jump out of a beer bucket. Oh, they can jump high. Mm-hmm. forgot about that. They almost jumped out of that big Walmart storage container. Yeah. It does have to be you really tough. you have any tough. acid at your house? Hmm. Mm, I have bleach. Too. What have you been doing with the bodies? <laughs> well, I set a bleach trap in there, and then it's just like all I have is a bunch of white mice now. <laughs> bleached white. What have you been doing with the bodies? It's like the El Chapo method. I, he just puts them on like chopsticks throughout the house. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. So you just, take, you just pick friends. up the whole trap because they're, they're still in it, you know, and you just drop it into a little plastic like Walmart bag, wrap it up, throw it in the trash oh. down the garage. See, I think seven bodies in there. You need to put one out in the backyard and send a message. Uh, Keep coming. See what's going to happen. I should. Just put it on it like a. Just cut off the little heads and put them on stakes. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I'm telling you. Mm -hmm. Put them around the whole perimeter of the house. Carry them around on your belt. Let them jangle around when you Mm -hmm. walk around. Yeah, you need to instill some fear into these mice because right now they own you. I mean, right now they just think like their friends are just leaving town. Yeah, they're eating your food. What do you think? Todd Town's like spring break for these mice. They (laughs) come in. They're banging everywhere. You guys uh-huh. been to Todd's house yet? No. What do you, What do you think they think about the other mice that don't come by? Are these some some of the stories, tragic stories these kids tell? Their dad went to go get a pack of cigarettes and never came back. This mm. is the equivalent of that. I think nobody maybe, ever thinks about that. They might even just forget about it. What if your dad got <laughs> murdered? Maybe maybe he meant to go get the pack of cigarettes and he was on his way back to be an awesome dad the rest of your life <laughs> and he got abducted and murdered. Well, I guess is there some really artistic mouse inside of your wall or whatever mm-hmm. who's like making a, ho- a horror film about this? About the mice that leave and never come back? <laughs> yeah, sending them one by one. Yeah, I bet you're right. Maybe you're. it's like the Truman Show for mice at your house. I bet it is. It's probably one guy mouse... Who's telling the other guy mouses that like, hey, there's there's like a buffet over there. You go through this little dryer vent, other side of the wall. There's a little buffet. These idiots just leave food out on this little wooden <laughs> plate. It's awesome. And then he's gonna get it down where it's just him and a harem of female mice oh. <laughs> left down in my crawl space. I don't know. I'm digging it though. I'm, it's it's I'm getting bored with the kill. Yeah, At first, I was against the killing. But there's so many, I can't keep trapping them. Well, have then you to. got a taste for it. Yeah, now I've got the taste of blood. You got the bug. You now I want to get more creative. You have a nail gun? I do have a Brad nailer. He's going to go old John Wick. <laughs> 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 it doesn't really shoot out far. I have to get close, but that makes it even harder. Or Just sit still. No BB gun. Have real guns. That, I think that's too much. I know. No. Probably yep. cops would probably get called. You know what I need is a mace, like like the knights used with the <laughs> yeah. the handle and the chain and the spiked ball. Take, take one of Zito's swords. That mm-hmm. might get the job done too. Be a good one. You should put. You should build a maze. And at the end, it's a trap. They yep. do love mazes. Show me how I could collect. Like a maze wall runner. Some of those hamster cages with the the mazes inside and the little tunnels and stuff. Yeah, yeah, tubes. I wonder if those are like one way in, no way out situations. Because if I could build, you could the orchestrate thing up, it to be that way. Yeah, you could. So they get in there. It's and like a build a bear, yeah. and then I just have like forty of them trapped in this little aquarium. Well, then you start selling them, yeah. to people who own have snakes. snakes. There you go. You can rank them too. Yeah, I have a leaderboard. There's probably a Facebook uh, market page <laughs> for mice for free for selling mice. Oh yeah, to people with snakes probably. I think it's more like a back page thing. Yeah. That, well, yeah, that's other snake stuff. You have to get your but. underground mice salesman <laughs> now. I think I think we got a business plan here. 
We have an endless supply of free mice. It's 100% profit outside oh, yeah. the cost of building our trapping mechanism. But that's know. also part of the fun. I mean, yeah, let's yeah, be real yeah. here. I think, I think we'll do it. Well, speaking of uh, hunting and trapping, we have some of the greatest <laughs> hunters and trappers of men in the history of crime fighting. But before that, let me tell you this. Their interview is brought to you by our friends at Lisa Mattress. I know. If you find yourself distracted, forgetting things, making mistakes at work, a quality night's sleep makes all the difference. I guarantee you both Javier Pena and Steve Murphy will tell you without a good night's sleep, they would have never have captured ultimately resulting in the death yeah, yeah. of Pablo Escobar. Yeah, mm-hmm. the, the one thing that I have read about them is they slept really nice Don't every night. Don't fight crime on a lack of sleep. It's very important to being at your peak performance level. The Lisa Mattress is a product of more than 30 years of experience in mattress engineering and hundreds of hours of testing, comprised of three foam layers that provide cooling, pressure relief, body contouring, and support. Over 300,000 happy sleepers agree. Lisa sleepers, like us, 300,000 of them, all agree that this is the best mattress you could ever hope to sleep on. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. For sure. Find the right mattress for you at Lisa, L-E-E-S-A dot com slash Heartland and get the rest you need tonight. Get up to $200 off any mattress if you use the URL Lisa dot com slash Heartland and then enter the promo code Heartland at checkout. That's Lisa, once again, L-E-E-S-A dot com slash Heartland, promo code Heartland. Let's get into it. Join us on the phone, our true... American heroes. Yes. Oh, yeah. Two badasses, uh, both retired from the DEA, and they were portrayed in the, the very popular TV series on Netflix called Narcos. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. Mm-hmm. Very popular show. Oh, very yeah. popular show. These were the, the, the real-life DEA agents who took down Pablo Escobar. I want to do some one at a time. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Steve Murphy and Javier Pena. Yeah. Hey. Woo! Thank you, guys. Thanks for having us. Yep, appreciate it. No problem. Hey, um, I'm big fans of your guys' work. I have been for a long time. We talked just briefly before you came on here, so you know I'm a retired copper, and uh, therefore I have a lot of questions. These guys, big fans of the show Narcos. Big fan. We talk a lot about organized crime, Mm -hmm. mostly, I think, because of the two Italian guys from Pittsburgh that are in the room, (laughs) but uh, also (laughs) cartel-wise and other things. So uh, this is something we're very interested in, just so you know. So I can't thank you enough for coming on the show. Our pleasure. Honestly, it is. To get started, uh, I want to know what each of you were doing with the DEA, like each one of you. What were you assigned to? What was your day-to-day before being tasked with this assignment? Yeah, our, uh, my, my first before public bar, uh, I got to uh, Columbia 1988. I mean, I was just doing regular type investigations. I'd been there about two months, and uh, when my boss uh, pretty much said, oh, you're, you're, uh, we're assigning the public invest, bar investigation. You know what? And I had heard of Escobar. I really wasn't, you know, into it. So uh, I got in uh, cold, and uh, let's just started uh, going up to Medellin, visit our. Uh, we had a special task force, and uh, started just learning uh, who Pablo Escobar was. You know, all the I start remember the family, the friends, the associates, just just learning, just uh, uh, 
just doing it 24 hours, which helped me uh, in, in the long run. So ba- basically just doing regular type investigations uh, until I got assigned the case. Okay, awesome. What about you, Steve? Well, uh, uh, we were both local cops before we became federal agents, and I spent three years in Miami oh. um, in the late 1980s. <laughs> wow. And I got to say quick time. Yeah, you, you know, got joined- you got baptized Go by fire and cocaine. I mean, <laughs> you were in the heat of it. Well, you know what? As a, as a local cop, before I got to Miami, the most coke I'd ever seen was two ounces. Most coke at one time. Yeah. The first case I got to work undercover on in Miami, we picked up four hundred kilograms. <laughs> <laughs> two ounces to eight hundred and eighty pounds. So. Um, you know, and I knew who Pablo was simply because he controlled South Florida at the time, but I never had a case that directly, you know, directly impacted him. We knew it was the Medellin cartel, but we couldn't get to that level. And, you know, and here's the funny thing. When Javier and I went to Columbia, you don't know what cases you're going to be assigned. You get there and you, you meet people and you see who you kind of connect with and, uh, you know, who you click with. And, and uh, that's how I got assigned was uh, Javier had already been there for years working with him guy named Gary Sheridan and I was just fortunate enough to be teamed up with him. Okay. So basically you were just, you were kind of transferred or, or put at the, the, the field office there. It wasn't necessarily, you weren't sent there specifically to work on Pablo Escobar at first. It's a voluntary assignment. You have to volunteer to go overseas. Gotcha. Now, is it like, I don't remember if it's, I don't think it's like this now, but was it ever at a time where it's like, uh, kind of like the military where you, you've got to do uh, one tour out of country, at least when you first get started, you got to get that under your belt within a certain time frame. No, this is uh, basically, you, you got to, you have to do four years domestic um, anywhere in the States. I did my time in Austin, Texas and after the four years, you it's a voluntary assignment. You, you don't um, get uh, forced to go. You have to volunteer for it. So, uh, like I said, everybody starts off. You got to learn the basic surveillances, undercover, how to make a case, basically how to put the cuffs on a guy. Then you uh, you can put in for the foreign uh, arena. Oh, okay, so you 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 put the work in domestically, kind of develop your skills before you go to the big leagues, which would be a place like Columbia. Exactly. Yeah. And you know what? And that's exactly why I went. I wanted to do the, I learned the, uh, the small stuff, the small traffickers. Then I wanted to see how the major leagues worked. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. So- it's funny. Todd, it's, it's funny you say that because some guys that wanted to go overseas went home and told their wives, I'm sorry, honey, they assigned me there. <laughs> yeah, I bet. Probably a lot of that went on. I'll see you in a year. You know, I tried to fight against it, but it's the job. <laughs> Uh, so for our listeners, some of them are very young. Um, here's a little education. This is just what I gathered quickly, a quick synopsis of who Pablo Escobar was in the world during the eighties and nineties. He, uh, was responsible for 80% of the world's cocaine drug trafficking during that time. 80% Forbes actually released an article in the nineties that announced that he was worth $30 $30 billion, which I guess his son immediately said, that's way too low. Don't insult us. He's worth way more than that. Um, he, he smuggled 15 tons of cocaine a day. He trafficked 15 tons of cocaine a day during his, his peak. And I, I don't know if this is true. Maybe you can tell me if this is true. He spent $2,500 a month buying rubber bands to wrap his cash. 
Yeah, that, we don't know if that's true. That oh. might be a Hollywood make-believe. Okay, <laughs> okay, that might be a little Google uh, flair for me. He offered to pay off the country of Colombia's national debt at one point. I ended from what I understand. Yeah, that so. is right. That is very true. He and uh, like I said, he wanted to be president of Colombia, but he offered to pay their debt. Okay, so I want to dig deep into this investigation. Can you tell us overall, like? The time frame we're looking at, like how long this whole thing that you're about to describe to us took place? Yeah, basically it started really in the mid-80s, and uh, you had heard of Escobar, but not that much. Then towards the the late 80s is when he really uh, became uh, big, when the, the start of terrorism the narco terrorism which he you know he started it so then all of a sudden is who is this guy and like you mentioned you know responsible for 80 percent of the cocaine that was reaching the world wow. then like i said what, what got everybody's attention was the terrorism uh the killing of politicians judges putting a bomb on commercial airline killing the next president of columbia uh just whoever got in his way and that Basically, no one had ever seen a, a trafficker operate uh, like the way Pablo Escobar did. So that's what got everybody's attention. It's like, well, this guy's out of control. There'd be daily occurrences where, like, nah, that didn't happen. Yep, Pablo Escobar, you know, just put a bomb on a commercial airline. You know, so people were just getting killed. And then uh, the, the car bombs, the famous car bombs. And I tell people something I'll never forget because we had never seen a car bomb before. Yeah. So this guy was placing them all over Medellin, Bogota. So that's what really set Pablo Escobar as being just a mass murderer and the, you know, the king of uh, cocaine exportation. Okay, I'm glad you mentioned the, the term narco-terrorism, because I think when a lot of people, like that gets thrown around a lot in the news or whatever, and I think that regular people associate that term with, oh, that's where, yeah, the cartel helps fund terrorism in, in the other side of the world, you know, like he's helping, they're helping ISIS and all that stuff, where it actually refers to this new tactic that I guess you're saying he kind of developed where you kind of rule by fear or accomplish your agenda and, and strengthen your, your foothold within the area that you operate by committing terroristic acts against public officials and then innocent people so that everybody's scared to death to even mess with you, right? Absolutely. And you know what? We give Pablo the credit of being the world's first narco-terrorist. And you hit the nail on the head. You know, people say, what's a narco-terrorist? It's just a, a narcotics trafficker that employs terroristic activities in his business. Pablo's number one. Did, did anyone in his group, I, I wonder, because um, some of these tactics are kind of military-like, but more like, like uh, what rebels and guerrilla fighters mm -hmm. use. Were, were he or anybody else in his group um, trained in that way? Were they ever part of a rebel force or anything in that area? Yep. You know what? You have a great question. And uh, a lot of people do not uh, know that the original uh, trainers for how to place bombs came from Spain, the uh, terrorist group, the uh, ETA. They're the ones who came to Medellin. They taught the Sicarios how to put the – how to uh, – do the, the 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 car bombs, and uh, then uh, we had also uh, Israeli mercenaries 
and that's a proven, uh, you know, proven fact. They came into uh, Medellin. They set up training camps for the narco traffickers. And, and the first ones were set up by Escobar's partner, a guy by the name of Jose Gonzalo Rodriguez. Guys, so they called him as Mexicano. Uh, they brought in about 12 guys. And, man, we, you know, I mean, uh, they had training camps. And, I mean, it was just unbe- unbelievable. But, yes, they, they, like I said, uh, ETA in Spain, uh, Israeli mercenaries came in to, to, you know, like I said, teach them how to kill, how to shoot, how to, how to place bombs. So a lot of that training took place. I, I, I had no idea. That's, I mean, that's a sophisticated yeah. network. That's almost probably rivaled uh, Colombia's own military in some <laughs> with might. I would assume like that's that's a like a, a sizable force to be I, reckoned with. Yeah, this were top elite forces. I, I, like I said, and I remember, uh, like I said, this really mercenaries because we we really got into it. We had uh, people who participated in this uh, training in the jungles. Yeah, so we knew exactly uh, what they were doing. So a lot of these guys got indicted. Uh, remember, there was a colonel by name of Year Klein, uh, but nothing ever happened. They never brought him back to uh, uh, Colombia. But uh, yeah, they, this guy's and money was no problem. You know, in Gacha, really, Escobar's first partner was credited with the, he was the military arm of uh, of the cartel. So a lot of that that training did take place. Uh, it's fascinating. Fascinating. I pity the fool. I absolutely pity the fool. And the fool in this case is me and anyone else with tremendous credit card debt. Oh. <laughs> because yep. that's a game that you cannot win. Nope. Nowadays, they include a little breakdown to show you how only paying the minimum payments means you'll be paying it off for decades. That's right. Decades. With Lending Club, you can consolidate your debt or pay off credit cards with one fixed monthly payment. Since 2007, Lending Club has helped millions of people regain control of their finances with affordable, fixed-rate personal loans. No trips to a bank, no high-interest credit cards. Love it. Just go to LendingClub.com, tell them about yourself and how much you want to borrow, pick terms that are right for you, and if you're approved... Your loan is automatically deposited into your bank account in as little as a few days. Nailed it. Lending Club is the number one peer-to-peer lending platform with over $35 billion in loans issued. Go to LendingClub.com slash Heartland. Check your rate in minutes and borrow up to $40,000. That's 40 stacks of high society. Mm. LendingClub.com slash Heartland. LendingClub.com slash Heartland. All loans made by Whitbank, member FDIC, equal housing lender. Steve, where, where are you from, Steve? I'm originally from Tennessee, but I went to high school and college in West Virginia, so I'm kind of a cross between a redneck and a hillbilly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what I thought. What kind, of, <laughs> what kind of culture shock takes place when you get shipped to Columbia and you're thrown into basically the, the father of narco-terrorism and, and you're assigned to... to dwell into that world and, and take this person down and, and have to work with these local authorities and, and, and military people in order to accomplish it? You know, that's a really good question because here I go from being a small town cop. I was a uniform cop for almost 12 years before I joined DEA. And, and I go to Miami and, you know, the, the senior agents, we go out and grab lunch together and they would take me to these restaurants where nobody spoke English, the menus are in Spanish, and I'm thinking, what the hell? Did we did we cross the bridge and go to Cuba or what? <laughs> and it's just perfect example of how naive I was when I got down there about the cultures 
Uh, you know, I was being a redneck about everything. Saying, hey, you're in my country. You need to learn to speak my language. <laughs> but then through, you know, through experience and, and living there and becoming accustomed to it and, you know, maybe mellowing out a little bit, quit being such a jerk about everything. Um, my wife and I, we ended up having a blast in South Florida. And, and then that just kind of led us into uh, to Columbia a few years later. So it, it all worked out. But it, I, I got to tell you, and I was, it was, you talk about a fish out of water. That was me. Yeah, I can't imagine. It'd be the same for me. I was born and raised in Indiana. If you had to send me over there, I'd, I'd, I'd probably lose my mind. <laughs> I, I, I had trouble enough dealing like, like I knew like the people I worked against here. Like I, I, I grew up with meth people. You know, like half my family's in prison for meth. Like I'm like, oh yeah, these people. I belong with these people almost on some level. But uh, to go out and have to do that, and then uh, here's the other thing for both of you and uh, Javier. I'll let you answer the, the your your portion first. This really wasn't. There was really no template. I assume for this type of investigation. I assume traditionally it was. You worked through Miami or another hub city, and and then you you worked it through a wiretap or whatever, and then tied in a, a source maybe through the cartel over the phones, picked them up when they came to visit in the states or something like that. Wasn't this the first time that you actually took the fight to them? Yeah, great. Uh, yeah, uh, wow. Yeah, this is the first time of of many things that occurred. First of all, we were embedded with our with a specialized group. We lived with them. We stayed there, you know, did everything with them, which is what helped us because we were there for first-hand information. Uh, then, like I said, Miami. Miami was Escobar's playground, so we had a lot of people. So everybody in Miami was concentrating on on his organization. So that made a big difference. And, and like you said, in living with that specialized group of cops, I mean, that, that was uh, really what, what did it for us because uh, you were there first-hand information you got to witness you got to see we were not on operations we tell people we weren't supposed to we did it you know uh how else are you going to gain the cops respect so i said i'm going to stay behind while while you go out so we like i said we broke policies rules we never broke the law but let's say that's one of the first that that helped us in in uh, eventually uh you know getting this guy so that was very important by just being there with the cops working with them Okay, well, speaking of having to bend the rules and be somewhat flexible in order to get your job done, I know, I know you never broke any laws right. or whatever, but I, I want right. people to understand, like, you guys were were fighting a real monster who obviously had no rules, who, who really operated with impunity in, in this part of the world where corruption exists within law enforcement, within the military. So... What was your, what's the mindset going into that? And and tell me how horrific this guy really was. I mean, the brutality represented in the TV series Netflix and everything that you read about him uh, is one thing, but you guys were actually there to see what was going on. So tell us a little bit about what you were seeing on that end of things. Well, um, you know, for me, Todd, getting down there, there were after we'd been there for a while. <laughs> The mindset at, at various times was, what the hell am I doing here? Yeah. You know, you're you're the only, Javier might be back in, either he'd be in Medellin with me or he'd be in Bogota. And, and you know, you're the only two DEA guys in the world out like that. And, and it was exciting. I mean, it's, you know, there's nothing heroic about what we did. It's just, we did our job just like you did, just like every other cop in the world does. 
Wait, not, wait, Steve, I'm going to stop there you. There were right times. There. I'm going to stop you for a second. There is a difference. Okay. <laughs> I, I know my job had its problems and it, it was dangerous at times or whatever, but please understand uh, you guys deserve a little extra credit there. To be the only two representatives of our country uh, as law enforcement officials in Colombia and it, in the 80s and 90s with all that was going on there and fighting the world's worst monster of the time. I mean, you deserve a little a little credit, a little pat on the back for yourselves for that. And I assume you witnessed, like, these these murders uh, that happened in public, just to make examples, like the car bombings you were talking about, all these things that were going on. He put bounties on the local police officers, right? And was having them knocked off yeah. one, one by one? Yeah, I mean, it was $100 a, a head for the killing of any police officer, which, you know, it's, it's obviously it's pathetic. But, you know, thousands of police officers died at the bounties. Uh, uh, my, my, my biggest fear, or my, whatever I, what I remember being the worst, were just the car bombs. Because you never knew where he was placing them. I mean, he was putting them right outside our police base we, where we lived when you take off on convoys. You know, I had a couple of my buddies killed uh, by Escobar. Uh, but it, and it was just then all of a sudden it's the innocent people. What, what do they have to do with this? Nothing, right? But that was, I think you mentioned earlier, was he wanted people scared of him. And basically that's what we attribute the first uh, – time he won when he surrendered that people were just scared of him and uh, you know what but then if you look at the other side of the coin also it's like you know there were times there when i would just say you know what let's just let the guy surrender let's all go home people will live you get tired you get scared you get you know sometimes you lose that you know that vigor but again you would always we would always come back yeah i assume yeah steve did did pablo escobar know who you two were <laughs> yeah, he did. Oh, I, I assume he wasn't a big fan. No, no, he wasn't. He, you know, we were listening to his conversations, and we heard him make reference to the two gringos. We heard him mention the names Pinion Murphy, and you know, we joke around with people. This isn't like that uh, TV show Cheers where you want to go in the bar and everybody knows your name. This is the guy you don't want to know your name, right? But. Um, as pathetic as what, you know, Javier just told you about a hundred dollar price tag on a police officer. He put price tags on our heads as well. And it was $300,000 each. Wow. So I don't know what that would equate to in today's terms, but the same token, I just want to clarify that, uh, you know, probably the biggest threat I faced from that, that $300,000 bounty is that my wife would kill me in my sleep because I was worth more dead than I was alive. <laughs> <laughs> I would assume. I would. I would. Yeah. I. Well, my first two wives. Each one of them would have jumped on that for sure. For sure. <laughs> uh, did, was, were there any actual attempts made on your lives? Well, I'm nah, tell about you your first. Yeah. Oh, did, yeah would you just say tell him yeah, about your yeah, first I, one? Right. Oh. I had to move uh, apartments twice. Uh, the first time, it was kind of weird. Yeah, I get a call from a boss. He says, are you at the at the apartments? Yeah, you need to get out of there right away. Oh. I took off right away. So Jesus. all they did was move me to another apartment, and then I had a second threat, you know, moved me. And I'm lucky, you know what, because at that time, they would uh, force you to leave Colombia. So I was lucky that, you know, I did not get transferred. I didn't want to leave Colombia. Uh but, uh, yeah, it, it was uh, <laughs> scary 
at times. And, and you know, the, the Sicario, the mindset of a Sicario is they're they're in love with Pablo Escobar. They'll take orders. They don't care. They, you know, on this, I call them thugs. You know, the 15, 16, 17, that was his, uh, you know, his heart of his Sicarios were this young thugs who were brainwashed by Pablo. And, uh, you know, I talked to one of them, and I'll never forget, you know, what he told me. He just said, you know what, I love Pablo Escobar, I'll die and I'll kill for him. He has taken me, given me money, taken my family out of the slums of Medellin. So my allegiance, I'm going to die with Pablo Escobar. So that, that was that attitude you were dealing with. So when you guys were first sent there, you said you obviously you didn't know that much about him. You go and you learn and you see all these terrible things he's doing. And then uh, he becomes familiar with you guys as well. Uh, he obviously puts a bounty on you, attempts on your life. Did it ever become personal at some point? We're like, all right, now we got to catch this guy. A couple of my buddies have passed away, like you said. Did it become personal? Yeah, oh, very much so. It, it was. And <laughs> you know what? Uh, there used to be a saying in uh, Medellin. It was like, you know what? We're not here to seize money. We're not here to seize dope. We're here to kill Pablo Escobar. And that was <laughs> that that personal revenge against him. Yeah, it, it, it was personal. Like I said, I lost a couple of good buddies. And uh, and uh, Steve and I went to a, a funeral, and we had never seen We had eight coffins in the church. Uh, the major was a good friend of mine. I mean, yeah, you never, like, wow. You just We just saw things that it's just that will stay with us for the rest of our lives. I can't imagine. So, so when they moved you out of the apartments, when uh, they had the the hit on your on your lives, was it because they heard your name over a phone tap or a over a tape or something like that? that that's a, how they got tipped off that you needed to leave the apartment. Yeah, that was the, the first one came from a phone uh, phone intercept, and you know what? <laughs> that's kind of scary because I like I tell people, you know, sometimes snitches lie, phones do not. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. God dang. I mean, you guys, I'm just, I'm still trying to wrap my head around this. And I have seen the series and I read about this before in the both of you. But um, the mindset after a while, I guess you get so, like, you're so invested. You've got friends that have been murdered at his hand or by his, his beck and call. And uh, he uh, arranges his own surrender the first time. You guys are deep. I mean, you've been working this investigation a long time. Like you said, you're very tired. And then the, the country of Colombia, and I guess also probably the United States had to sign off on that, but just allow him to build his own prison? Was that represented correctly in the TV show? <laughs> yeah, that, that, that was correct. And oh. I was there uh, when that happened, and everybody was like, what? What is Colombia doing? Letting him surrender. And I'll never forget it. Basically, it, it was, you know, we had lost and Pablo Escobar had won. Nobody liked that deal. Uh, uh, the U.S. was very much against it. Uh, but you know what? If you look at the other side of the coin, where the government of Colombia is saying, we are just, we can't, you know, we're just tired of all the atrocities. We're tired of Pablo Escobar, of all these people getting killed. So, uh, you know, like I said, I'm not saying that was the right thing for them to do, but I can see their point in that. You know, the bombing is going to stop, and it did stop. He surrendered. Bombs went away. Killings went away. Trafficking continued, but innocent people were, were being saved. But And you're right. We did not like that deal. The U.S. did not like it. But obviously there was uh, Colombians uh, that, was their, uh, that was their agreement, and it was all because of the terrorism. And I think you said it earlier. 
making people afraid until they just say, you know what, let him do whatever he wants to do. Um, yeah, I got an answer for you. I don't know how to do this ad read right here. <laughs> it's supposed to be an ad read, but they're not really they're not really selling anything. What do you mean? Well, you know how like Zito was having to jump start his car every day we go to work. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, jump start yeah. it in order to get home, and he had right. to embarrassingly they got the video of him pushing his car through the drive. Yeah, he basically had the um, the paddles that you put on your chest. Yeah. for his car that the he had to do the yeah. defibrillator every single day. Every single day. <laughs> The, the fine people at Advance Auto Parts. And now it's 20 degrees out. Yes. Saw this. They went to get a new battery. They found out what was going on. Somebody there saw the video. And because of that, they're like, listen, we love Zito. Mm -hmm. let, it, let us do something. And uh, they worked it out with Pat. And basically, here's the deal. Like, if you go to Advance Auto Parts right now, it's starting to get cold out. They're trying to take care of everybody. You get a, a free test on your battery. <laughs> Wow. All you got to do is go there. All you got to do is go there. Free you know test. what? Say hi. Say that we sent you just so they know. Whatever. But you're going to get the, the free battery test either way. Because here's the deal about your battery. It, it has a lifespan. Just like a human. It only lasts so long. And you can't tell by looking at it how much life is left in that mm. battery. It doesn't have wrinkles. No. Mm. It's not. It's like a tree. That's good point. You can't count the rings. No. So take it in there. They, they got a way to test it. And tell you if you got 20% left, 40% left. If it's fine, you don't need to do anything. But do so before you hit the middle of winter, a snowstorm, and you're left stranded and you freeze half to death. For don't real. want that to happen. For real. They don't want it to happen either. Nice people. Advanced Auto Parts. Good people. Trying to take care of people in their community. And we're, we're just passing on. It's not even really an ad read. No, you know it's just, we're just, just making more of a PSA. Yep. Yeah, get a new one. Yeah, they'll they'll pop public, it in there for you. Some people know that as a public service announcement. Boom. For, oh, yeah, and if you need free. a battery, they'll just pop it in. You're going to have to buy the battery, but they'll put it in for you. Yeah, <laughs> which is nice. Not everybody knows how to put in a battery. You don't even have to be like, hey, Dad, how do I put it into my battery? And he, and then he'll he'll probably like call you, make fun of you some words. Yeah. And like, mm -hmm. How are you, a 31-year-old man? I can't believe you, you learned nothing from me. That and all that stuff. So you don't even have to have that embarrassing call. Avoid that. No. <laughs> they'll just do it for you. Go there. And, you, and then you can call your dad in line and be like, hey, Dad, I changed my battery today. <laughs> He doesn't know. He don't he know don't what know. you did. No. Just show up with the brand new battery that don't have dirt on it yet and say, look what I did. Mm. Make your dad proud of you. Steve, how long was he ultimately in his luxurious prison that he built for himself? Well, you know, talking about his surrender, um, I got to Columbia and then published. Surrender. So what I like to tell people is he heard Murphy was in town. He might as well just give it up. <laughs> <laughs> but... And, and, and so this was, um, and I, you know, we have our book out. It's this may be in the book. I can't remember to be yeah. with you, but real quick, let me um, mention the book because I, I need people to hear this a couple of times. But it's called Manhunters: How We Took Down Pablo Escobar. I know it's available on Amazon, Google Books, Audible, and everywhere you can download books or any store, Barnes and Noble, all of them, where you can buy a book physically. Obviously. This is a must read yes. for people. I mean, you can already tell we're hooked already. And I didn't mean to interrupt <laughs> you, but I should have said that at the beginning. We'll get to it a couple more times because, um, yeah. I mean, I just when I first became a cop, people were like uh, veterans that were on. They were like, you know what? You need to start a little journal because you, your, your career is going to only be worth the amount of stories you have to tell after you're done. Yep. You're not going to get rich. You're not going to be able to retire yeah. wealthy. But you're going to have a bunch of cool stories if you if you work the kind of career that you should. 
And you guys trump them all. I mean, this this case is incredible. So you're there, and you're you're, you're kind of like uh, make peace with the fact that uh, he's not getting what he deserves, but at least the killings have stopped, and the terroristic acts that his his cartel was committing have stopped. And then I, it comes to a, a point where I guess he's back in business, right? Right. He was. He so he surrenders there. And, you know what I was going to mention is that when that first week I was in the embassy and just had met Javier, and when when Pablo surrendered, right, you know, the world's biggest cocaine dealer just surrendered. But what I saw was disappointment. You know, uh, Javier and his partner Gary were dejected about everything. The cops weren't happy. And then that's when I really started to learn about what had gone on and found out about this ridiculous deal and him being allowed to build this. So when he gets in there, you know, Javier told you the murders did stop the bombings. Well, the murders didn't stop, but the bombing stopped at least. So innocent people were not being targeted like before. But and think about it. This guy, the deal, he only has to do five years in a custom built prison, which we've proven to the world was not a prison, was a country club. He had had, he, I mean, he gets to keep everything. He comes out, he's a free man. He's absolved of every other crime he ever committed in his life, including thousands of murders. There were no stipulations to take any of the assets. He gets to keep the $30 billion. Jesus Christ. We all know his, his ego got the best of him. He liked that power, that control over people. And, you know, uh, before four years up, that's when he brought the Moncada and Galliano brothers in because he was pissed off at them about some money that was found ends up murdering them in the prison. And then that's what led to the United States on the government of Columbia to, hey, you got to get this guy out of that joke of a prison and put him in a real prison. Of course, we all know that's what led to the escape. So he was really only in prison for one year. Oh, wow. And then he's on the lamb, but how – it was it really the lamb? I mean, he was so powerful at the time. Was he still yeah. living pretty comfortably? Right. Yeah, the, the second time was when uh, Steve and I moved into the uh, Medellin and worked with the cops full time. The first time, it was like I'd go there for a day or two days and then I'd leave because it was that dangerous, you know. Yeah. Uh, the second time is we really what uh, what did it where we, we we lived with our group. We had a specialized group of guys there, and I said we stayed there with them, you know, uh, day in day out, which is uh, what really uh, helped us. But you know, I'll be honest, when he escaped everybody was happy wow it was a great feeling and it was like hey we can't <laughs> you know we got to get him this time so yeah. it, it was just a renewed oh everybody was excited uh and uh it, it was just one of those where we have another shot basically now did he become worse was he more even more violent this time or because he was kind of having to, to stay hidden was it a little better in the right. first round Great question, man. Well, oh, great. Uh, you've done some good research. Yeah. <laughs> At the beginning, man, we, we should have had him. We had him located many times. Uh, he was running. He really, he was trying to get established again. But he, he, like you said, and I think by us really putting that full court press on him, we're going after everybody the, in the U.S., uh, it, it, it was making, uh, making a difference. And uh, then also, you know, we, you know, we, we, we talk about it, and we mention it in the book. Uh, the other factor, and you can't deny it, is part of history, but it's a group called Los Pepes. Uh, that came into being also, which had a <laughs> very negative effect on, on Escobar. It was uh, basically 
traffickers that work for, like Steve mentioned, Moncada and Gallano, two of his top aides when Escobar got mad at them, he killed them. So their traffickers who worked for Moncada and Gallano all got together and decided to go after Escobar dirty. You know, they were trying to kill him, his family, uh, uh, anybody associated with Pablo Escobar, which also made a difference. So now he wasn't just running from you guys and having to hide from you guys. He was having to, to basically keep from getting murdered by this other group. Mm-hmm. Uh, right, exactly. So when this is this is the meat of, I assume, what most of the book is about is the second phase of the investigation. Was there these people that you worked with the 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 special group that was that was formed that you guys the task force or whatever that you worked with? There was like I, I and I I don't mean to offend the people of Colombia from that time. I mean obviously there was corruption and things going on. But also there were these countless number of officers that weren't making enough money that you would even scoff at the fact that, you know, that they didn't take a bribe. Like, you probably should have. You didn't make enough money. But yet they, they fought every day. Some of them lost their lives. And they stayed committed to ridding the world of Pablo Escobar. How, how does that happen? Is that just like... Was there a faction of Colombia that just, you know, were like, hey, we don't, we don't like cocaine. We don't like what these, these traffickers are doing to our country. Was it, are they just from that mold, or, or what's going on there? It is. The, and you know what? This was kind of uh, eye-opening for me when I got to Colombia. The only Colombians I'd ever met were the ones that I put in jail in, in South Florida, you know. And, right. and as wrong as this is, you tend to stigmatize, you know, or uh, an entire country because you met a few bad apples. Mm-hmm. So you know, what my wife and I found when we got to Columbia is that if you go down with an open attitude, you try to get along, you try to understand that you're in their culture, not your own culture, you know, and, and you try to speak Spanish that you can, and uh, and you just want to, you know, be part of their community. They're some of the most accepting, nicest people in the world. You know, it's just, it's just that little small fraction of a percentage of the drug traffickers, and of course they've got the you know they've got the terroristic groups, the insurgent groups down there, Park and ELN and M19 and all those groups as well. But real Colombians are nice people. They're hardworking people. They're proud. I tell you what, if you go down there and act like the ugly American, they'll tell you real quick where to get off. <laughs> but if you go if you go down there with an open attitude, and try to get along, we were just shocked, just pleasantly shocked at how nice it was down there. And what about heroes? Look- from there, like uh, Kiki Camarena, am I saying his name correctly? Yeah, it's Kiki Camarena Station. He was the in a station in Mexico that was kidnapped, tortured, and murdered. You want to talk about a hero? Now that's a hero. That's a heroic story. This is a guy who, when the when the Sakar uh, kidnapped him, they murdered him, and then they had a doctor on standby who would inject adrenaline into his heart to life so they could kill him again. They killed him multiple times. Wow. That's how. That's how bad these people are. You know that. Yeah, I mean that's incredible. And he fought. He fought against them for a very long time, right? He was. He was kind of. Was was he considered the before you guys showed up the the arch enemy of Pablo Escobar? Kiki was stationed in Mexico, and uh, you know Pablo Escobar at that time. I mean, uh, he he was dealing with another faction uh, of Mexican traffickers, and uh, Kiki was based in uh, Guadalajara. 
but it was notorious Mexican uh, uh, drug uh, traffickers, Rafael Caro Quintero, Mata Ballesteros. It was the the first original Mexican traffickers, and these guys were were just as violent as, as Pablo Escobar. Uh, oh. But uh, again, their 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 violence was based on if you get involved with us, we're gonna kill you. So let us do what we need to do, and it was based on money. You know, they paid off as many politicians, and I'm talking about the Mexican guys, uh, as possible to get their dope across. But Kiki Camarena is considered our first real, I mean, it's well known because of what the torture, the the hideous stuff they did to him. So he's like, when you talk about DEA, I mean, everybody in DEA knows who uh, Agent Camarena was, and like Steve said, just a real hero, and uh, and there's a lot of respect uh, for uh, Kike, and uh, and it's the first time that we also that when he was killed, uh, the United States put tons of pressure on Mexico. There's a famous story where and it happened. Uh, where the president closed down the border between the United States and that, and Mexico because we were not getting the cooperation. It was closed, I remember, for about 20 minutes, and all of a sudden the Mexicans said, hey, we know where the body is. So that, I mean, it, it was just an all-out effort by the U.S. government. Wow. Now, did you did you watch his season of Narcos, Narcos Mexico? And how did you feel about that? And then also, how did you guys feel about how they represented you guys in the in the first Narcos? Great question. Yeah, well, yeah, I know. I'll let Steve answer the how about us. But with with Camarena, I watched it, and you know what? Uh, I was also in it special because I was involved in the search. I was a brand new agent, had about a year on, and I got sent to Mexico because I was Spanish speaker. They needed Spanish speaker, so it was personal for me, and I got to. Uh, I was stationed. They sent me to Mazatlan, which is where the the trafficker who killed him was located, Carlo Quintero. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think Netflix, the series on, on Asia Camarena, I mean, they did a good, good job. It's, 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 it's horrific, and it brings back memories. Uh, and I think they portrayed it uh, accurately. I, you know, obviously, there's Hollywood in a lot of stuff, mm-hmm. but I think uh, the Camarena story was uh, portrayed actively, and I think they're doing the, the another season on the investigation, which is going to be uh, unique. So, uh, but uh, again, it's uh, I think it was done well, and I think now that a lot of people, and you know what, else people have told me, I mean, I couldn't watch it; it was just too too violent. I didn't want to watch what they did to Camarena, but you know, I mean, that's you know, it happens, part of history. So. And I'll let Steve with the <laughs> narcos. <laughs> yeah, so, and for me, I've I've watched season four up to the point where they kidnapped Kiki, and, and I just haven't been able to watch it yet. I'll get to it eventually. Uh, just not something I'm looking forward to. Yeah. But as far as, as far as the actors, man, we love those guys. It was Boyd Holbrook played me, and Pedro Pascal played Javier. Uh, you know, and Pedro's probably a little bit more well-known because of his role in Game of Thrones. Yeah. And, um, he's somewhat like a, a man slut like Javier is. So they, you know, <laughs> uh, that part is true. Guys. <laughs> so, 
So, you know, a lot of narcos is made up, but that one part is true. Javier did have all those girlfriends. They just, they weren't informant, they weren't communists, they weren't hookers, but every other woman in Columbia was fair game. <laughs> you know what, and if I can interrupt, I'll just go to say that, you know what, the main question, and this is the main question when I, when I, you know, I talk to people, that's their main question. Did I have all those affairs? Where everyone <laughs> to know about the sex stuff. Uh, but you're saying yeah. a lot of it was made so, up, though? Say that again? <laughs> you're saying a lot of the show was made up, though? Yeah. I mean, there, you know, we weren't running across those rooftops by ourselves and people and you know, the, the, everything we did was in conjunction with the Columbia National Police. We had no authority down there. Right. You know, we're there as their guests at their invitation. And if you remember the scene where Murphy and Penn, when they chased those Sicarios and walk them back, and that little baby's laying there. And, oh, yeah. And Murphy says, oh, she's cute. I think I'm going to take her home. Well, you know what? Even in Columbia, that's called kidnapping. You can't <laughs> just do that, right? <laughs> so, a, lot of, a lot of Hollywood involved in it. Um, and and that's why we say we're not heroes. It's the Columbia National Police that are the real heroes out of this whole thing because they took their country back from this piece of shit. Yeah, that's a great point. And I and I apologize for a second. I started to confuse Kiki with uh, Colonel Martinez. I was representing the TV series as well. Uh -huh. he, he was a real hero. Uh, that guy, whew, I would have bowed out. I think, I mean, I consider myself a fairly tough individual, but, man, he he went through it. You're yeah. not kidding. He Colonel, made yeah, a sacrifice. Colonel Martinez, and, and let me just add, um, with Colonel Martinez, he says a real hero. And you know what? Pablo Escobar was trying to kill his family. I mean, yeah. I used to see the letters. Escobar would write Martinez letters saying, you know, your family is going to be dead by the morning. I mean, it, and it, it got to be personal between both uh, Martinez and, and Pablo Escobar. And uh, Martinez never gave up. And obviously uh in the end it's that's what uh, colonel martinez and his son uh were the ones instrumental i got something better you can put on your body you're gonna look <laughs> way better in it and that's untuck it shirts yeah, because the holidays are almost here and you know what that means What's gifts that? Oh, who doesn't nice. love a good gift? And what better gift to give the guy in your life than a stylish shirt that fits just right? Unlike most yeah. brands, Untucket shirts are actually designed to be worn untucked. Yep. Untucket shirts always fall at just the right length, no matter the size, so you look casual and sharp. Ooh, 2019. Ever seen an untucked button down? They look awful. <laughs> Might as well be a parachute. Yeah. Seriously. <laughs> a parachute. It's all frumpy and flowing and what baggy. What are you doing? It's not even contoured to your body. You look like a jellyfish. Well, you know why? Because they're not meant to be worn that way. But thankfully, there's Untuck It, the original button-down shirt that is actually designed to be worn Ooh, yeah. untucked. It's the perfect length. With more than 50-plus fit combinations, Untuck It shirts look great on tall, short, slim, and athletic guys mm -hmm. of all ages. I love them because I am tall. I am athletic looking. I am muscular, <laughs> slim, and they fit me, and they look great. You can find your favorite Untucket style online or check out one of their 80 brick-and-mortar stores. Choose from styles like the wrinkle-free button-down, super soft flannels, great for this time of year, outerwear, and more. With Untucket, your shirts will never look baggy, bulgy, too long, or too big again. Plus, their website's very easy to use. They even have a whole page devoted to helping you find your fit. 
So whether you're shopping for the perfect holiday gift or just trying to craft a smart, relaxed style of your own, Untuck It is the way to go. Visit UntuckIt.com and use code USA for 20% off at checkout. That's U-N-T-U-C-K-I-T.com, promo code USA for 20% off. Did you guys, so like you just said uh, about Pablo, that he was a piece of shit. Did you, were you guys upset that, because it's kind of seemed like the, the show kind of glorified glorified Pablo. Oh, that's a great point. Well, you know, when we first met, when, when Eric Newman, now he's the executive producer, he's the creator of Narcos, it was all his idea, super guy. I mean, we love the guy to death. When he first called us about uh, doing a story, we told him no on the phone. <laughs> oh, really? And he said, he was kind of, you know, he was, he was astounded that we said no without knowing everything. And he said, listen, if I come to Washington, we just have dinner with me and let me explain to you what the idea is and you know, I want to bring a couple writers. He said, give us two or three hours one evening, and if you say it's no, it's no. And you know how we are as cops. I'm thinking, well, if these guys fly all the way over here and take me to dinner, it's going to be a really good dinner, and it's going to be free. <laughs> so I said, sure. <laughs> right? So I tell you, know, and Javier are talking on the phone about it, and, and we did our research on these guys, and they're well-educated. They're successful. Eric Newman's father is Randy Newman, who wrote a lot of the, the songs for some of the older movies in Hollywood. and you know, just it turned out their personalities clicked with ours, and and that's how we got involved with them. So it was uh, it was kind of amazing how it all came about because originally we were just going to stay on the job for a few more years and and you know just go from there and see what happened. I, I really thought I was going to be one of those court security officers down there at the federal building telling young whippersnappers to put your gun in the safe over there. You can't take it in the courthouse. You, know? <laughs> you guys all do that. You all become the court security guys. <laughs> Living the good life. Yeah, you're wearing, right. your, wearing your little yeah. red blazer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yep. So when this comes to an end, kind of, when he, he's on the lam, you guys keep, uh, you have these near misses, but you, you keep the, the pressure on him. The other, the other element uh, that's uh, competing for a place in the market is trying to take him out. Um, when it finally comes down to an end, Will you guys kind of just walk us through that all the way up to the point that uh, his demise happens on that rooftop? Uh, because For one thing, yeah. you know, in the show, they show that he was hiding out with his father for a while, and he was out in the middle of the country. So is any of that true? What, what was happening there at the, the last little bit before it came to an end? Well, yeah, I, and I'll go first, and I'll let Steve, because uh, he was there, I was not. And basically... In the show, they got me. I think I'm being disciplined. In real life, the ambassador uh, called me up. I was in Medellin and said, Javier, you need to go to Miami because there's an informant who knows where Pablo Escobar is. And, oh. you know, ambassadors are like presidents of countries, you know. Yeah. And I said, Mr. Ambassador, all the respect, sir, we have him located. We're real close. And he got upset. He said, basically, you go to Miami or if not, I'm kicking you out of the country. So <laughs> I got on a plane <laughs> to Miami. Uh, to go interview this informant who only wanted to talk to me. And, you know, the irony of all this is the informant's on the phone, and I see him, he puts the phone down and says, oh, yeah, they just killed Pablo Escobar. Oh, <laughs> so I get on a flight. That, I know, I know. He found out before you did. Age. Oh, my yeah, God. Yeah, exactly. I would have been so, so I, I would have punched that ambassador right in the I'll, face. I'll let, <laughs> Steve was there, so I'll let Steve go through. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah, so... So that day, and, and, you know, just before I tell you the story, my one big regret about this whole thing is that Javier wasn't there that day 
because he was there three years before I ever got there. Right. You know, somebody deserved to be there on that final day. It was him. But, you know, it's uh, it's just sometimes the way things work out. You know, I don't believe in coincidence, but it's just the way things worked out. Sure. But anyway, that day, um, you know, you got up that morning. It's just going to be another normal day there and getting ready for operations and so forth. And I went over and was talking to the other Americans that were there at the base with us. And, and, and you know, I mean, it's now we had the Army's Delta Force and we had the Navy's SEAL Team 6 guys with us there for 18 months. And let me tell you what, those are the studs of the world. I mean, those guys are phenomenal. Yeah. Ivor and I both have the utmost respect for them. And we, we tell the world, if I'm ever kidnapped, that's who I want to come and save <laughs> me because they're that good. They're just phenomenal. No doubt. But, you know, there's theories out there that they killed Pablo, and it's not true. And the reason I know that is because I was standing in the room talking to him that day when all this started going down. And, you know, there's a quad area, and I was standing in the doorway talking to the guys, and I saw the colonel's executive staff kind of running over towards his office, and that, obviously that's an indication something's going on. So, I, And I told the military guys, hey, I'm going to go find out what's happening here. Well, our relationship with Colonel Martinez was good enough that we could walk in, and you know, he waited for me to come on in the office and listen to what was going on. And that's when the operation was going down to kill Pablo. Now, if you watch Narcos, it shows I was on the roof. That's absolutely not true. There were no Americans out there. I, I know where we okay. were. That was the Columbia National Police out there taking care of business. Okay. So, you know, the, the colonel told uh, the guys on the operation, the Dehenia, as he said, hey, uh, stand by if you can. We're mounting up the troops. We're, we're on the way to help you. But if you have to, you know, if you have to do what you got to do. Well, there's 600 troops we got to mount up, you know, and it takes, it's not something you do in five minutes. It takes quite a while to get 600 guys geared up. You got to issue weapons. You got to get the trucks out. You got to have everybody accounted for. And you know how that goes. Yeah. So while that's taking place, the next thing you know, the radio gets quiet for a couple of minutes. And then the next thing you know, this major comes up on the radio and he says, Viva Colombia, Pablo's dead. So that part is true. That really happened. Wow. Um, that's when, you know, I mean, I took off running over to the to where the telephone bank was so I could call the embassy and report that in. I, I called the embassy trying to get a hold of our boss. By the time I got him on the phone, he already knew. He, <laughs> really? he told me that Pablo had been killed. Uh. And I'm thinking, how did you do that? But that was the relationship he had and we had with the Colombian National Police. Mm -hmm. The head of the Colombian National Police, the pers first person he called was our boss. So... Anyway, you know, my boss says, listen, I want you to get out there and confirm this is Pablo Escobar. That's your mission. So I run over to, to my barracks and, um, you know, my weapon and get my my cameras and all that stuff. Come running back out. And every every Colombian police officer in the patrol unit is gone. All 600 of them are gone. <laughs> what? <laughs> and I'm, I'm thinking, how the heck am I going to get out there, you know? And, and so you start thinking about rental cars and taxis and, I mean, all this stuff just, you know, Floods your mind there real quick. And lo and behold, here comes Colonel Martinez coming back in in his Jeep with his driver and his bodyguard nice. to get his camera. And he looked at me and he says, hey, you want to go? Get, jump in the Jeep. So that's how I got out there. Wow. So, And the reason I'm going through this whole story is, is I want the world to know there were no Americans out there. Okay. This was the national police taking care of business. Pablo screwed up. He engaged the National police that day in a firefight, and he lost. It's as simple as that. He, I know, he he fired upon them, but when they set out that day, when uh, they they moved toward where they knew he was, 
was there any doubt in anybody's mind that were involved that they were going to do anything other than kill him that day? None whatsoever. Oh, yeah. I like yeah. it. I like it. Right. And, and also, you know, uh, you know, when Steve talked about Colonel Martinez, it was his son, Colonel Hugo Martinez Jr., who actually found Pablo Escobar. So that's another great story in well, itself. It it's a father-son good team against a father-and-son bad team. Yeah. <laughs> because Pablo Escobar was talking to his son. So it, it's it's just a great ending. Uh, it's a great story. And, uh, you know, Lieutenant Martinez, uh, the, the young kid, I mean, good friend of Steve and I, always talking. That we were, he would train a lot on this DFN equipment. He was never officially trained. He learned it uh, by just practicing and practicing. And, and that's what ultimately, you know, led to Pablo Escobar's death, you know, the, when they located him on the phone. Wow. I tell you what, man. I know you guys are known for this case, and uh, I'm sure that you were involved with many, many, many other significant cases that you should be very proud of. But uh, I'm very thankful that you took time to call in. I know that you guys are busy. I do want to remind everybody to either download or physically go buy a copy of Manhunters, How We Took Down Pablo Escobar. Written by these two gentlemen. You co-authored the book, is that correct? We did. Okay. And uh, if, if I can just mention here real quickly, if you go on our website, www.deanarcos.com, you can actually order the book off of our website now. And the benefit of that is we'll, we'll even personalize it for you if you'd oh, like. Nice. Oh, wow. Okay. Say that one more time. The website address. Uh, click on the book, the, the icon of the book on the screen. It'll take you to the order screen, and we're more than happy to autograph and personalize the book for you. Wow. That's a hell of a deal right there. Um, get your own autographed copy of Manhunters, how we took down Pablo Escobar by the two guys that did it. Mm-hmm. Um, you, got, you guys are incredible. You had incredible careers, and um, I'm, I'm happy that they sent you. It sounds like you did it right, and uh, I consider you like a you're two pioneers. I, I figure I you know I what little part I had in the drug game and wiretaps and whatever. We always consider you guys uh, pioneers in that field um, as far as dismantling drug trafficking organizations. So, on behalf of myself and everybody else here and everybody that listens, we thank you for your service, and uh, we're so glad that you 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 lived to be able to uh, share your story. Wow. Thank you for saying that. We really appreciate it. Absolutely. If ever you come through Indianapolis, mm-hmm. get a hold of us. We'll, we'll, All right. we'll, we'll buy the beers and we'll hang out and we'll have a good time. So uh, make sure <laughs> make sure you do that. I'll send I'll send my contact info know. info through our, our booker to your publicist. So if you ever oh, please, I like that. Okay. Awesome. Thank hey you guys, guys okay. let's put it together. Right. Two true Thank American you. badasses. Man, that was really cool. Incredible. Awesome. Yeah. That was really fucking cool. Those, Those guys, guys lived it. Legends. They just taken off. I don't know how old they were at the time. Probably probably your guys' age, probably when they went down there, maybe just a little bit older. Yeah. yeah they right, take right. off the Columbia, fight the cartel. First American to ever do it. No big deal. Narco terrorism. Never really heard of that till now. Yeah. 
It's oh, he invented it. Yeah. Pablo did. See, that's why I wanted to ask that. Like every like after I watched the show, I loved Pablo. Yeah, and it's like that same way with like that's the best way to make a movie though, right? It's like you got to give that person some appeal. They do yeah, the same yeah. thing with American Gangster. They yeah, Frank Lucas. Yeah. You know? mm-hmm. But I'm sure too. I mean, he led a lot of people, so it had to be. We, I sh- we should ask that. Yeah, yeah. There to had be. to be some appeal to him because. Well, yeah, a lot of time you well, can get that many people to follow you. What's well, because he was in the streets? It was kind of like Frank Lewis, how Frank Lucas, how he was handing out turkeys and shit like yeah. that. Yeah. Pablo was in the streets just throwing money around. Yeah, and that place is impoverished. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's how, I mean, it goes, he, money goes. He a long built way. he built hospitals and stuff like fear that. and money and stuff like that's how he got people to yeah. follow him, and that's why he was going to run for president. Yeah. And then he just got too greedy. Once oh, you got thirty that, billion dollars, that and when you kill other your politicians' competition and stuff like in, that in your own jail. Yeah, I mean, if I make thirty billion dollars, I'm be like, all right, guys, I'm wrapping it up. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Go away for a while. Enjoy I'd, my life. I'd probably build my own compound similar to his jail just to live in it, not because I had to. But yeah, if he would have stopped. Yeah, he would. He would just stop the murdering and stuff like that when he had thirty billion. Well, yeah, at that point, it's obviously not about the money anymore, right? It's just like a game. Exactly. It's just a game. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Because first, yeah, you don't think you can be stopped. Yeah. Well, and it's just the, the probably the thrill uh, and the power associated yeah. with mm-hmm. is what kept him going. Because, I, yeah, at some point, it's like I am like 15 Jim Ursays right now. Yeah. I can have a really good fucking time. <laughs> you know? I could I could find other ways to get the adrenaline rush. I mean, they were having a good time. If Pablo Escobar <sighs> yeah, had bought the Miami Dolphins back in the day. That was oh. awesome. He should have. He he could have probably at some point just said, listen, guys, I'll stop selling cocaine and stop murdering people and just go away if you just drop everything. And they probably would have signed off on See, it. See, I don't think they would have definitely signed off. Yeah. He just, I don't think he would have. Yeah, no. I don't think he At that point, stopped. you become so power hungry. Yeah. and He's crazy. But that was a great interview, man. You can't Unreal. deal with competition coming in and trying to do what you do. Yeah. Everybody, make sure you check out their website, www.danarcos.com. And if you haven't watched Narcos, it is awesome. Yeah. I need to rewatch it. I'm doing it. I'm jumping into it. Yeah. I'm jealous of anyone that hasn't seen it yet. The Narcos Mexico came out last year. So I I assume there's a lot more people who haven't seen that. And that was the one about Kiki Camarena, which was actually very good, too. Do Uh, I watch Mexico first or no? No, no, no. No. Just go right into regular Narcos? Yes. Good enough. Watch the very first one. Perfect. Because I believe Michael Pena is the one in Narcos, Mexico. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. 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 Did a very good job. Yeah. Very good. I can't remember who played Javier Pena. Pascal. Uh, Pascal. Yes. Yeah. That's the guy from Game of Thrones. Yes. Yeah. I the Viper. his name. Yeah. I knew who he was. He, um, it's so funny that he was like, yeah, he was a bit of a coxman. That part. <laughs> 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 I wasn't running down any rooftops, but I was definitely <laughs> I was getting around, if you know what I mean. <laughs> That's great. Check them out if you have if you can find them on social media or whatever. Thank them for uh, taking time out with us. That was really cool. And that's it. Hey, keep spreading the word in the podcast. Mm-hmm. That's all we ask. You guys are doing a great job. Check out the store if you haven't already. Take advantage of the Veterans Day items that are up there. They're awesome. They're really cool. A couple new football items as well up there. Some Pittsburgh stuff. Mm-hmm. I think there's a new Ravens shirt coming out. Oh yeah, the spin move. Yeah, the spin Ooh. move shirt. There's a Packers shirt, I believe, as well. Yeah, lots of cool stuff. Go check it out. We're out of here.